First of all, I want to take a second to give the opposite of a shout out to their court. Dub. Hashtag pants over chance. It's hate week, y'all. This is the conspiracy theory in which I will be publishing and pushing hardcore. Of all things you could do, this is the hill you're going to choose to die on. Oh, I'm not dying. This is a Thursday night podcast. Here's your news, analysis, and all things Thursday sports. Because every day is Thursday. All right, Panther fans, welcome back to the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor, and I'm joined by our lovely suite of usual suspect co-hosts, Brady, Jordan, and David. Gentlemen, the your Georgia State Panthers coming off a big win against Georgia Southern, but faltered against the UL Lafayette and UL uh, Louisiana Monroe. Do we have any initial thoughts of the last two games in this, uh, I would say, disappointing road trip? Yeah, I, I would say it's it's always disappointing to lose on the road, but we always have a tough time playing UL Lafayette at home. Uh, the Cajun Dome has always been kind of like an Achilles heel for this team. Uh, I mean, say, say what you will about about the game, the environment, the officials, but we, we just we didn't execute. I mean, first of all, I want to take a second to give the opposite of a shout out to their court. Uh, the floor is one of the worst in co- collegiate <laughs> basketball. And I, that is like not a joke. It's Second only, with, maybe to Oregon. Oregon. Yes, yeah. thank you, Jordan. Um, it's not great. No, it's really not great. Jokes aside, um, you know, it, it definitely was a disappointing road trip for this team. Um, just mentally, they seemed checked out at times. Uh, Georgia State played not great basketball in the first half of that Lafayette game and absolutely owned the first little bit of the second half and roared all the way back and had a pretty sizable lead at one point and just gave it up in the last few minutes to you at Lafayette. Um, like you said, playing you know, losing on the road is disappointing um, for any team. But specifically, um, Georgia State has a pretty good track record against UL Lafayette, even though it may never feel like it during like game time. Um, we just we just have the PTSD because of the the Sun Belt. Like we think about this, but we've dominated the rivalry. I mean, if yeah, you we've won six rivalry, straight before yeah, this. Georgia State's broke. won six straight, and so in, in the rivalry against Lafayette. It's well, frustrating, not, yeah. you know, so-called since we rejoined the belt. I think they they have a, a better all time record overall. But I mean, we're talking about like, yes. quote unquote, modern era rivalry. I mean, Georgia State has dominated the all time matchup just based on wins and losses. However, that being said, me speaking just as a, a, a Panther fan, I'm always sweating the Louisiana Lafayette game. And I know that everyone that's tuned into the team feels the same way. I think as fans, we think of like, oh man, they beat us to go to the tournament that one time. And, and it makes us rewrite history a little because we have had their number most years. Absolutely. And we should have had their number this time. Their defense was reeling. They had given up near 100 points a game, three games in a row. I'm starting and to get a little should- concerned about the offense uh, for Georgia State. Not because it's it's it hasn't been bad, but the defense hasn't been there to the point where we're forcing a lot of turnovers. We're getting teams to do what we want and forcing them to take a lot of bad shots. I mean, the reality of the situation is sometimes Georgia State being a heavy three-point shooting team, you're going to have halves where you're going to go 0 for 9 like they did against the Cajuns, which... Obviously, those threes were going to start falling, and when Georgia State went on that run in the second half, they did start falling. But at the same time, only forcing 13 turnovers, giving the ball up 13 times, were not a really great assisting team. And again, free throw issues. It's you know, it's we're saying the same things over and over again. So I don't. It, it is 
becoming increasingly unlikely that this Georgia State team can win shootouts. And, I mean, you saw that against both of the Louisiana schools this weekend. Neither of those games went well for Georgia State on the offensive side, even though they scored in the 70s, which is good. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that that's not good. That's around season averages for Georgia State. But at the same time, though, when your defense is allowing 75 a game, it's not going to cut it, you know? I think the problem is the potential is there for both sides of the ball. And currently neither side of the ball is good enough on its own to carry this team. They're both good. Sometimes not, but most of the games we're in it because both sides can get us in games late just because we're not trash cans on either side of the ball, but neither side is good enough to carry it. We're running into teams that are, you know, good enough on one side that that's what wins the game. Um, one thing I'll say about the past few games, aside from the UT Arlington game uh, and the Texas State game uh, at the end of January, Jeff Thomas has been pretty cold on the offensive side of the the floor. I mean, I'm just looking at his past few games. I see three points, eight points, 10 points, and then the outliers of 27 and 19 against Tex- uh, UT Arlington and Texas State, respectively. But before that, I mean, Jeff has only scored uh, double digit points twice this calendar year. The last time he did so before the UT Arlington game was the 29th against middle Georgia. Um, is Jeff's role on the offense something do you think is a, maybe their game, the uh, teams are game planning for him or is he just not being active enough? What do you think that some of his production that we know that we can see from Jeff, where do you think some of that is going? I think, I think the reason Jeff, well, first of all, in the Louisiana game, he didn't take any threes. So I'm more inclined to throw that one out of the window, sort of. And I think the the prevalence since Devin has come back, Devin Mitchell is essentially the quintessential, all right, Georgia State needs a three. There is one player that's probably going to take it, and it's going to be Devin Mitchell. I feel like we can all agree with that, unless DeMarcus takes an ill-advised shot. That's I don't think that's an unfair statement to make. Um, before Devin was, when Devin was hurt for those seven, eight games, Jeff was taking a lot of those threes that were coming off of screens, coming off of action, and you know. Since Devin has been back and Georgia State has that player, the way that this offense runs, it doesn't really work that two people are coming off of screens on opposite sides because we don't really have our point guards essentially stay on the, in the middle of the court. You see Kane and DeMarcus kind of when they're carrying the ball shade to the left, shade to the right, which is that's fine. That's not a criticism by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I think the issue with the issue with Jeff specifically is a lot of his game works because you have to honor him from three. And just looking at the past few games, he's either not shot the three at all, or he hasn't shot it well. And that is one really important for him. And two, at the end of the day, He's not going to be really the one cleaning up down under. He he has what he averages like five rebounds a game. So it's not like that's bad. He's a good rebounder. Yeah, he's definitely a good rebounder. I don't want to say he's not a good rebounder, but he's been very, very cold outside of the UT Arlington game. Okay, no threes in, against Louisiana, two of three against Monroe, 0 of five against Southern. Three of eight against Texas State, you know, just he hasn't had a really good quintessential Jeff Thomas three game outside of UT Arlington in a while. And that, that's, just that's think, where he gets his points. I think, firstly, he's a senior and there's a certain amount of you need your seniors to be those reliable guys. I mean, I think he can offer us something if we were to switch him out of the starting lineup or just find ways to get him less minutes or try a different rotation. I do think there's something to what David's saying about the way the lineup is constructed. It's not letting it to him 
going off, but I think he's also just been a little passive. And I mean, if the shots aren't there, you don't necessarily want people to force bad shots, but I think, I just don't think he's been attacking it and that's been contributing to him having some quiet games. And with as many minutes as he's playing a game, I mean, I don't think he can really keep starting and playing 34 minutes. I mean, I just don't think that it's a feasible strategy. I think Nelson showed what he can do as a starter and what he can do in more prevalent time. This last game against Louisiana was a Friday night um, ESPN nationally televised game. Uh, But we traditionally don't generally play on Fridays. Um, And now coming up this week, uh, we have Wednesday uh, hosting Troy and then Friday hosting South Alabama. Um, Do you think that the trend of the Sunbelt changing scheduling midseason maybe is throwing a little wrinkle into kind of the rhythm that this team has gotten themselves into? One, it's because of TV. So, I mean, TV dictates all Two, everyone does it like like. The Louisiana teams had it. The Alabama teams are going to have it. If we let that be an excuse, like why bother showing up? Because we're we're playing a day early, you know, like that shouldn't matter. I I, I agree. I think we as humans are creatures of habit. So, uh, you know, lacing up the sneakers on a Wednesday instead of a Thursday, it's probably you wake up and you're probably like, okay, this is weird. But at the end of the day, you still have to play the game. And, you know, I don't want to sit here and say that Georgia state was out of it because of that. Um, Maybe I'll give, I'll give them, they see they, the frustrating thing is at no point during the ULM game, did they look bad? They just weren't scoring. And I mean, fine. That's, that's whatever. They legitimately looked bad against ULL and that you probably can't have in the first half. They looked terrible and but they then didn't fix it. They looked legitimately like world beaters to start the second half. Exactly. So I don't want to say that team that, shows up. Against any game we have left in the conference or every game left in the conference, that team is going to sweep the rest of the way. Like, absolutely. All right. Now, all that said, let's talk about this tonight's Troy game. Dub. Yep. I'll good. take the W. Yeah, we needed that. Absolutely. Definitely. It was really good. Um, it was nice to see that the team come out and play well on both sides of the ball. Uh, they got a lot of turnovers. They were pretty active. <laughs> Love to see that. So it started slow. It was 20 to 12 Troy at one point, but from that point, that's for them 65, 43. That's pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's, that's, you know, casual winning (laughs) the last 30 minutes of the game by like 22 points is what you want. So there was one thing that we can't really go without addressing. Their best player, their significantly best all-conference player, Jordan Vernado, didn't play. Uh, he was dealing with some concussion issues. So that's a factor. I mean, we can't ignore that. That helped us win. No, I mean, yeah. but at the same time, though, they, it's not like Georgia State looked bad. They still looked good, which is what you want, even if their best player isn't playing. Right, yeah. My second thing I would have said is, yes, you didn't play, but I think we still probably win that game, even if he does, because you were just clicking. Absolutely. And I mean, when you have uh, it finally happened, guys, DeMarcus looked good, sort of from behind the arc. And, and so here's here's what I'll say. There were a lot more times today where he was coming off screens and he was only five for 13, which is not. It's not earth shattering, but at the same time, though, you know, when DeMarcus is taking threes off screens, I will take that much more than if he is taking threes that are 
hurried and there's like 24 seconds left in the shot clock. Those are the bad threes. But if he's taking threes like this, I'm totally okay with it. Yeah, another thing to note about DeMarcus uh, tonight, he actually broke the Georgia State all-time school record for a career field goals made. That's crazy. I mean, he's DeMarcus like can run up three. that score. He super can. He absolutely can. And I, it would be hard pressed to see the next person attempt to, uh, attempt to try to reach that score. I mean, obviously, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna love whoever it is that tries to reach that score, Kane Williams. But at the same time, though. You have to temper expectations. Demarcus is a once in a generation type player at Georgia State, so you know. Maybe we'll we have some more Nelson Phillips. So when Simons broke the record, he actually broke a record that had been in place since 1986. Uh, says here, Mike Holmes, uh, GSU Sports Communication shouts outs, uh, writes that I think Chavello Holmes, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I don't think they're related. Uh, yeah, he had held the record since 1986. <laughs> Yeah, Jordan, I'll let you know that that's going to be my headcanon, and Mike Holmes (laughs) and this person are definitely related. Yeah, I, uh, (laughs) sure. Let's go with that. Mike Holmes, if you ever listen to this, confirm or deny, hit us up on Twitter, let us know. But I don't think they're related. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Oh, that was. This is the conspiracy theory in which I will be publishing and pushing hardcore on this, um, podcast from now on absolutely so, of, of all things you could do this is the hill you're going to choose to die on absolutely right. oh i'm not dying um something i want to take away from tonight's game the stat of the night has to be the the steals uh i'm looking here at the uh team stats on espn 10 steals to troy's two um just creating turnovers being aggressive with your defense and get keeping your guys on the court while also being aggressive on defense not fouling out that has to be probably my biggest uh takeaway from tonight that here's our defense is really active here's the other thing we had 13 turnovers in the game 11 of those were in the first half yep holy <laughs> we had two turnovers in the second half which yep. that's a good formula to not losing basketball games mm-hmm. second half adjustments absolutely we hit Eight of sixteen from three in the second half and didn't turn the ball over. So I just don't know too many teams are going to lose games when those many things happen. That's just really hard to defend if you're Troy. And that's something. Looking back at the ULL game, I mean, Florida State came out so on fire in the second half and then petered out a little bit towards the end of the second half. Georgia State kept that same energy coming out of the locker room and stuck to their game plan and was able to execute on both sides of the ball really, really well after that second half um, adjustments that Coach Hunter made in the locker room at halftime, which so I really that's that's my biggest takeaway from tonight. Um, the the change in game plan, uh, both on offense and defense specifically, though, um, really, really, uh, I think was the key to tonight's win. Bring that energy again Friday. Uh, USA is a pesky. We can officially, you know, Webster's define them as pesky. This year. <laughs> They've got a new coach. He got them play hard. He got them to play us really close last time. And I think that we have an opportunity this time because they're kind of reeling right now. They're dropped too straight, but get out, start a lead. Don't let them stay in the game long and get an easy win. That's my opinion. I think so too. I agree. I think South Alabama is they you're right. They're pesky. But at the same time though, if you bring that energy that Georgia state one brought today and two, there was a stretch in the first half, right at the sort of halfway through around five minutes 
left in the first half uh, where it seemed like every single time Troy touched the ball, Georgia State forced a turnover. And that's the type of defense we haven't seen from Georgia State since out-of-conference play. And I really am looking for them to continue to play with that level of intensity on Friday when they play South Alabama. It's not going to be easy, but these are the type of games that you just have to win if you're trying to win the conference and get these double buys into the tournament. And give yourself some easy minutes. Absolutely. I was going to say, do you remember last week when we said that we were going to be seven and one to finish out the year if we really wanted to be in a position that we thought we were going to be going to the Sunbelt tournament tomorrow or Friday rather is win number two of those seven and that seven and one stretch. All that being said, um, I think Friday's game is an opportunity to go out, execute your game plan uh, and take care of winning against a team that I mean, no disrespect to Alabama or South Alabama, but. Georgia State should beat South Alabama on Friday. This is a good opportunity to go out and win a game you're supposed to and keep the same energy rolling towards the end of the season. Um, you you know, we said at the beginning of the podcast of, you know, we want to go seven and one to close out this this stretch and game two of that seven and one comes tomorrow. So or comes on Friday, rather. So I'm really excited for this game. And this is an opportunity for us to carry this energy we saw tonight to go into the rest of the season. So it starts Let's on Friday. Let's get another double digit in, shall we? Absolutely. Um, that. All that being said, all that being said, we did have some movement on the football front. So Jordan, um, do you want to take it away? We had a pretty eventful past couple days in, uh, in the football program. Most notably, uh, offensive coordinator Travis Trickett is joining former Troy head coach Neil Brown at West Virginia. Uh what are our thoughts on this? I think it's a huge loss for the program. He was our main recruiter. I know it definitely for the offensive players. What, what, what are we thinking about this? This is how college football is now, and I'm totally not a fan. There aren't really limits on when coaches are leaving anymore, and especially after signing day. I mean, he's got connections in West Virginia. It's a better move. It's a better school. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to pretend I'm happy about it. I think it's not a great way to leave. This isn't a good look, and it's not a good look at all, and I'll get too deep into my thoughts on the college landscape um, because I think it's totally unfair that Trickett can do this and you know a, a college kid couldn't do this um, with the exception of Justin Fields. We don't need to you know get too meta there, um, but this is this is honestly ridiculous. It's it sucks that you know Georgia State just sat there and you know they recruited a good class. It wasn't it wasn't like it was a bad class. It was the third class of uh, you know Coach Sean Elliott's career at Georgia State, and you know now it's February 11th, and you know I don't know if if you're following the you know Twitter accounts and Instagram pages, you're you know you're starting to see some like baby baby offseason workouts, and you're starting to see some guys and. You know, now you have to look up and realize, oh, crap, we don't have an offensive coordinator. You know, like that's that's huge. That is so huge this late in the game. And it's a really big loss. Super big loss. I will separate us and him because everyone else who's still here and Coach Elliott, their promises, at least this, you know, this offseason did mean what they said. It just hurts the program potentially. I mean. If that was if he was the main recruiter, I mean, it's a it could be a big deal. And we've he had some good Florida recruiting connections that we definitely went into that well a lot. And so the thing is, though, I think as we've seen this offseason with the fair amount of moves we've seen, Coach Elliott's got some connections. He's got some names. I'm sure that there's someone out there that isn't just, you know, random football yokel. (laughs) 
we <laughs> can learn. <laughs> we can get a good name in here. We can get a good coach in here. And spring practice hasn't started yet, so it's not like we lose any install time. Like whether he left December first or you know February, whatever. Uh, it's spring practice hasn't started, so as far as installing a new offense, if we were going to have to install a new offense, we haven't lost really any time in that regard. No, absolutely. You're not. I mean, let's be honest. You know, we're not dumb. You're not game planning your offenses for the first opponent in February, but at the same time though, it's still a comfortability thing. You know, when we look at recruits and we talk, you know, you hear a lot of the big name recruiters across the country talking about that relationship. Like we really want to bring that family in and make that family feel like, you know, when you come to Georgia state or you come to XYZ university, you are, you know, you're a, that mascot for life. You know, you're a Panther for life. And, you know, when you recruit a quarterback, you know, Cornelius Brown and his family, you know, they, they are, under the impression that for the four or five years that Cornelius is going to be the quarterback at Georgia State, whether he's starting or, you know, not starting, you know, Trickett's going to be there and he's going to be that guy. And it just, you know, it kind of rubs me personally the wrong way, you know, like that is, it's a big emphasis. And I'm, I'm happy for Trickett, like, you know, getting the West Virginia, I, he got the OC job, correct? No, he, he's, a, a, he's a position coach. And, yeah. Okay. I mean, but he's got a connection there. He, he's, yeah. I, I don't remember how many years, but I'm pretty sure his dad was a the offensive line coach there for a while. And he himself, I think, was a GA there. He's got, you know, connections up there. He's been there. So I think um, it's worth noting that since he was so integral in this recruiting process, do we think we're going to lose any recruits because of this? Like, I, 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 I don't I don't want to speak it into his existence, but it's yeah. signed. Like they're, they're, yeah, they're signed, no, no but that doesn't that doesn't mean that they have to show up, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, no, I mean, it's they, really hard. They, to they back will out lose a year of eligibility if they try and go anywhere else. Yeah, like they're signed. Like there's, they could get. I think that there will be a rule coming soon. Like I think that in the future, if a coach leaves, like there have been a suggestion of you know, if your coordinator or your position coach or your main recruiter leaves. Some people are saying, like, if that happens, you should be able to get out of a national letter of intent. But those are pretty, like, set. And it also doesn't do anything to help anyone we were recruiting for the next class, which we've already started. Like, it's next class up now. So in that regard, definitely possible that could affect us. Here's the only other thing I would say. Uh, and then I'm... I, I just think that the offense itself isn't really going to change much. I mean, the play design might be different, but I don't think that coach Elliott wants to differ from what we had been doing. I mean, so that's the other way where I don't think that it's going to be that affecting as far as X's and O's go. I think that we are going to run a very similar offense. That's what I was about to say. The only thing I want to see out of the offense is just wanted to get better. You know, I just wanted to keep improving. I don't really care who's calling plays. I don't care the name. I mean, hell, Jordan, you could be the offensive coordinator. If you can oh, find that would a be scheme, such a disaster. <laughs> if you can find a scheme that is going to continue to put points on the board for Georgia State and do that in a way that they didn't do in 2018. Well, I would say give the ball to Penny Hart, but he's uh, not on the team anymore. He's He's left us for greener pastures. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Penny did not get invited to the NFL Combine. I know it's, it's it not the kiss of, starts. Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> it's not the kiss of death. Like Chandon Sullivan didn't get drafted, and he ended up playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. Did pretty well there. I mean, it's Trent Miles is at Philadelphia. Could he get a call up? I don't well, know. Here's the here's the other count. 
Albert did go to the combine and didn't get drafted. I mean, he's still having success, but like right. the combine doesn't equal getting drafted. And I think that he did a lot in senior bowl practice to show off to teams like this is who I am. I think he's pretty much a lock to get drafted and he can only help himself at his pro day by running, you know, whatever 40 they're looking for. So I'm not really worried. I just I do think it's just like if Penny Hart with the stats he had was at, you know, Tennessee or, you know, any, you know, Rutgers, like any team that just happens to be in the P5 bubble, like no question he goes. I think the funny so the, the thing about Penny specifically with the draft combine is the draft combine is really funny because it's really all for show and um it it takes a lot of years of really reading some of the articles that beat writers from the NFL come out with. Um, but a lot of them in, in the years that I've been following college a lot closer and following the draft specifically, instead of just having a football brain dump after the Super Bowl, um, the draft combine, there are a lot of things that you can see at the draft combine that don't actually translate into being a good player. And I think especially with the size that Penny has, the the way that his athleticism works on an actual football field, there's nothing that the draft combine would really tell me that would showcase that Penny would be useful. You know, for example, it would be great to know what his bench press numbers are, but if Penny Hart is bent, like if you are using the bench press to measure Penny Hart's ability to be a wide receiver for you, you're either a really bad general manager or you have absolutely no idea how to use this man at all in any situation. You know what I mean? He's hmm. fast. He's agile. Maybe you could get him on the three cone drills, but I mean, there are thousands, I don't want to say thousands, but there are thousands of wide receivers that you could probably ask in front of him. And I, I do I think Penny is better than a lot of them? Of course I do. I'm not dumb. A lot of Penny's value is his hands. But, you know, what drill are you going to really showcase that at, at the draft combine? Yes, they have catching drills. Like, I'm not dumb. But come on. It's it's more of a showcase than it is anything else. I still think Penny is, if he's not drafted, he's going to be one of those, you know, the draft is over on Saturday, but Oh, they've X, Y, Z team has signed him to a, some sort of practice squad or some sort of mm-hmm. contract very shortly after. And just bringing it back to general football talk. I think there might be a perception that, you know, everyone's abandoning ship. Like there's been a fair amount of change. The strength coach is gone. We're going to have a new offensive coordinator. We've replaced multiple position coaches, but I just want to say, I think it's not necessarily bad. I think that there's been some people getting promotions, getting good jobs. And you want to say, you know, I got this guy a job at this power five school from working with me or I got this guy a head coaching gig after he coached with me. I don't think those are bad things. And just honestly, a couple of the moves, I think we needed better coaching at some positions. I mean, easy for me to say that from here, from my you know, journalism field, perspective, field off season, <laughs> Monday morning quarterback. Yes. Yep. <laughs> but I think that there are positions where I think we got better, more experienced coaching. And I think that's a good thing. And I think, we're still in a good position. I mean, after as far as a good position, you can be in a two and 10 year, but I don't think that anything that's happened is like the death nail in the Sean Elliott era or in the 2019 no. season. I think there's a lot to see. I think next time 
We should talk about maybe a few people from this recent class. Think aloud a couple maybe early contributors or guys who just pop when you see it. So we'll keep the football momentum going next week, even after talking about the Alabama games. We're going to be going. It's with the AAF. It's always football season now. So we got to keep talking about it. (laughs) Yeah, literally playing in our own backyard right at Georgia State Stadium. We'll see if they actually win any games, but totally not related. Don't lose by 34. Honestly, the AAF is super fun. If you think about it conceptually, because it gives a lot of guys who had college glory, but didn't have the size or the, you know, this or the, that to play well in the NFL, it gives them an opportunity to still dominate some sort of league. You know what I mean? Jamarcus Russell just signed. That's topical. He actually did that. So we'll see. We'll see about that. It, it, I could see in a couple of years, if the AAF keeps being a thing, I could see a number of Georgia State seniors that don't get the nod for the NFL playing on whatever day of the week they decide to play AAF games right here at Georgia State Stadium. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Thursday Night Podcast. Next week, we're going to put one out where we recap what happens Friday night against South Alabama, preview the next two games, up in the Carolinas against App State in Coastal Carolina. And then we're going to give our preview of guys to look out for from this year's football signing class. And hopefully, because hires are good, we can talk about an offensive coordinator hire as well. That would be helpful. We'd love to have one by then. Pants over chance. Hashtag it. Make it official. Let's go. Hashtag pants over chance. It's hate week, (laughs) y'all. It's Sorry. we don't like you, but it's not really hate. It's it is what it is. Week. All right. This has been the Thursday night podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. See you.